called Who. Going through smaller characters in Scripture and, and doing a little investigation into some of the background characters into these people that played large roles in the history of Israel and the history of God's story with his people. Um, as my wife so astutely pointed out, Amos is not a major or minor character. He has a book named after him. It doesn't count. But uh, I don't particularly um, care so much because I, Amos is my favorite of the minor prophets. And I know I often say that I have a favorite passage or that we, I have a favorite character. Um, Amos is not my favorite because I like it. Uh, if you paid attention to the reading that Michael read, it is a particularly harsh passage. Uh, I like Amos because it's a very important passage. And I think that especially living, not just in a place like Switzerland, but in, in, in Western culture today, uh, it is an important subject to know. And so I know that some of you may immediately be thinking uh, that we don't know much about Amos. Maybe you know it's a name of one of the minor prophets. Maybe you've read a little bit. Maybe you're familiar uh, but as I mentioned, the, the lessons learned here about God and who God is, I think, are too good to pass up. And like I said, the real reason I chose it was because of his message, the importance it has in understanding more about God. This God we just spent time worshiping, this God we pray to, this God, when things are at their worst, we, ca- we cry out to asking for help. Who is this God? Last week in the morning, I even preached a sermon called Knowing God. In the mornings, in the, in the morning service on Sunday mornings, uh, Pastor Doug is going through a series on Christian doctrine, who God is, knowing God. Uh, this morning, he talked about imminence and God's involvement in the world. And, and if um, you're interested in any of those types of things, I recommend you to go and listen to some of his talks. They're actually uh, very, very good, and I think um, very good for us to listen to. But as we go tonight, seeking to know about who this God is and why something so harsh might be written in the Bible, uh, we come to Amos. It's not my first time teaching on this subject, and in fact, I've taught on it a number of times because it's something I'm quite passionate about. Uh, And you'd think that as you teach on a passage, specifically this passage of Amos chapter 5, that it would get easier. As I'm finding, the older I get, the more I've taught on it, and the more familiar I become with it, the more weighty I find it becomes. So here we have the book of Amos. To give a little background, um, many people know that he is a minor prophet, that there's a book named after him, but that's about it. Uh, that's about it. If you look at Amos chapter 1, we find a couple of details on him, just to give you guys some background. He's a man named Amos. He's from a place called Tekoa, and he was a shepherd. So we know that is in the southern part of Israel, that's in the kingdom of Judah, and that he's prophesying to kings in the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. The details about the kings he prophesied to, if you're curious, are in 2 Kings 14 and 15. Uh, So if you want to look that up later, you can. So 2 Kings 14 and 15 is sort of the narrative of where we are, but this is his story and what he said to these kings. Similar to the other minor prophets, we don't know much about him. He was a normal person who got the call from God, and as we'll see, he... (laughs) <laughs> he sort of went all out. Uh, I think God gave him a job that no, none of us would envy, but he faithfully served. And as you probably noticed, like I said, we, we're splitting up the reading. I'm going to talk about first the section that Michael first read, and then I will get into the second half as we move along. So the first thing you may have noticed in the first reading in the first couple of verses is, is this word justice. If you look back at verse 7, it begins with this immediately, the beginning of our reading. He says, You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness on the ground. 
immediately the prophet begins condemning the kings of Israel and saying, listen, you guys don't care about justice. You're casting it onto the ground. You're getting rid of it. You don't care. It says that there, is, there are those who are against justice, and then there is the Lord who is mighty and powerful. And then if you look at verses 11 and 12, he continues to give details. He says, you trample on the poor. You force them to give you their grain, and you have built stone mansions, but you will never live in them. You have planted beautiful lush vineyards, but you will never drink their wine. Because they were built with unjust money, with profit on the exploitation and on the backs of others. This man, this prophet, goes to the kings and says, listen, you are so wealthy, you are so comfortable, you think everything is great, but let me tell you, it is because you have cast aside justice. So we know historically, this was actually a very, very prosperous time for the nation of Israel. They were very wealthy. They were building great palaces and and all of these wonderful things. And they actually thought, it says this in 2 Kings, they actually thought that God was honoring them. They thought that all of these blessings were a gift from God and that actually is what we would consider Zionists today, but that actually God was going to redeem the kingdom of Israel and crush all the kingdoms around and Babylon and Assyria and all in Egypt and all of these places around them and they would be lifted up to the magnificence God promised them. But they couldn't be further from the truth. Amos says to them, this stuff, you're doing, these kingdoms, all of this stuff you're building is on oppression and on injustice, and God will not have it. And so he says in verse 14 and 15, seek good and not evil, and God will be with you. But if you don't, it says in verse 15, hate evil and love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. He's basically saying, listen, you need to stop. You've been doing these things for years and you've been oppressing and and, and selling people into slavery and doing all of these awful things. You need to stop and maybe God will relent. Like the book of Jonah, maybe God will stop. You need to stop it. You need to maintain justice. But if you don't, he gives us a little glimpse in verse 16 and 17. He says, therefore, this is what the Lord The Lord God Almighty says there will be wailing in the streets. There will be cries of anguish in every public square. Farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners will wail. And there will be wailing in the vineyards for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. There will be struggle. There will be pain. It will be bad if you don't stop. (laughs) I can't help but smile. It's not because I'm masochistic. It's not because... I think this is funny, it's because I think of this and I think of the Lord and I think of the God we're singing to and how loving and caring he is and I wonder, man, how bad must these people have been? What evil must they have been committing? And I read this and I think, gosh, this is just so gloomy. I don't like it. I want to mention something about the prophets now as we continue and to keep this in mind as we go forward. The prophets are really interesting. Many people will, will read this and say, well, this doesn't matter for us. Many people will say things like, well, you have to understand that historically the prophets were speaking to a certain people in a time and place, and that's really all it means, and, and it's really not for us. Um, I, I don't agree with that. This is what biblical critics say. I believe that 
most prophecy in the Old Testament especially, so your Isaiahs, your Ezekiels, all the minor prophets with the weird names, um, that these things have a double meaning. That God sent them to speak to kings and people for a specific time and purpose and place, but that it reveals to us key essential truths about our God. And that even though we may not be doing the exact same things, none of you may have actually built up a vineyard (laughs) by exploiting others. We learn about the character and the nature of God. And we learn about the truth of God, and we gain insight into what's very important, the heart of God. And so, I believe that even though this was written a really long time ago, probably 600-ish, maybe 700 years before Christ, this was written a very, very long time ago, that it's very important for you and me today. There must be deeds that accompany our faith. Right? This is what the New Testament talks about over and over again, that James says, you know, how can you say you have faith if you have no deeds? This is the exact same thing it's talking about. Many people try to explain away some of these difficult teachings of the Old Testament, but I will never do that. I believe this shows us the heart of God. I believe this shows us an insight into our God whom we worship. And so as we've been doing in recent weeks in the Old Testament, going through some of these passages and looking at other characters we realize the historical significance, but also that there is indeed application for us today, that this does indeed point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we continue, I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to think about what this means for us, for you today. We're going to continue on reading in the text, starting in verse 18. And if you didn't realize, it actually gets um, harder. (laughs) Amos keeps putting the pedal to the floor. He keeps stepping on the gas in verse 18. He says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness? Not light, pitch dark, without any ray of brightness. Stop here for a second. We have this passage where he says, listen, you guys are waiting for the day of the Lord. You think that the day of the Lord is coming where Israel will be restored to greatness because of your prosperity. But really, what's going to happen is the Lord is going to come and judge. The Lord is going to come and make right. The Lord is going to come and bring justice to this world. You who've been exploiting people, you who've been oppressing others, you who have put justice in the background, it's like you're going to be, have run from a lion only to meet a bear. It, it, the Amos gives such a, to me it's a little bit funny, if just for a second, right? It's like you're running from a lion to meet a bear. You run inside, you rest your hand on your, on your wall because you're tired and a snake bites you. It's like a joke that starts out kind of funny and then it gets really scary. It will be darkness, not light. As Tolkien put it, out of the frying pan, into the fire. He says, you think you have it figured out, but you don't. You think God is giving you all of this, but really what God is doing is getting ready to judge. The day of the Lord, Israel saw it as one thing. See, it's the same thing that happened when Jesus came around. When Jesus came around, everyone was waiting for Jesus to be restored as the king of Israel and overthrow the Roman Empire. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. It's different than you think. 
Listen to the words of God. Don't project what you want onto God. You think you have it all figured out, but you don't. And then the next couple of verses, I think, are one of two or three of the hardest verses in all of Scripture. And I read them to us tonight, not to depress us, but to encourage us and to show us the heart of God. Please follow along as we read the rest of the chapter, verses 21 to 27. Amos says of the Lord, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. God says to the Israelites, I hate your religious festivals. I hate your songs. I'm sick of it. I don't want it anymore. I will not listen to them anymore. And immediately our response is, but you said to do this. <laughs> but, but, but you said, I mean, you go back, you read the law. This is what you said to do. What matters to God is explicit in verse 24. The structure, the way this is set up, is it's sort of like a pyramid. It builds up to verse 24, and then it trails off of verse 24. 24 is the center of this whole argument that Amos is making. And verse 24 is the pinnacle of, of this whole chapter and what this means. And it says, but righteous, let justice, excuse me, let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. What matters to God more than anything, more than songs, more than religion, more than structure, more than hymns and sacrifice and burnt offerings and all of these things he mentions is justice. Does that make the songs and the worship and the ritual bad? No, of course not. But without justice and without having a life that exudes the love of God to other people, they're useless. God says they're empty. They're completely empty. I hear nothing. And and let me stop here and talk about for a second about this word because I think the world has changed what the word justice means. Okay, justice is not about fairness or equality, simply for equality's sake. So hear me out. I want to make this distinction because many people believe that the whole reason to be just is simply for the sake of humanity, right? That this is a human, I am a human, humanity deserves equality. Well, in a way that's true, but it's not a good enough reason for justice. I mean, if you look at societies throughout history, even societies that have really tried to be totally equal eventually something happens where one person talks themselves into putting themselves above another person. A caste system forms and injustices naturally occur. Even, I'm American obviously, and and even coming from America, they came and, and, and they would say that it's built on religious principles, that it's about religious freedom, that it was the Puritans leaving England to worship God freely, and that there's this thing we used to have to always say, the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. But all of the men who wrote and started America all had slaves. (laughs) You see, justice for justice's sake doesn't ever work. Eventually, humanity, because of its corruption and because of its sin, messes it up. There must be a higher purpose. There must be a bigger reason. 
And I would say and I would argue that the only way to pursue justice and find justice in this world is through God. Or another way of putting it is under the authority of God. That we are all equal as human beings, but only when God is above us all. As a sovereign, powerful, just God. We care and we love for each other under God's authority. Justice is not defined by people or by societies, but by sovereignty of God. Otherwise, it just won't last. I mean, really, truly, I can't... Every society that's always tried to do it better than the one before them hasn't figured it out. One person takes advantage, or a class of people talks themselves into abusing and oppressing other people. You know, if you look at what's interesting, even the Israelites, God's chosen people, who God spoke to clearly, they were given a rule that every seven years they would have what was called the Jubilee, where they would forgive debts and they'd give the land a rest. And, did you know they never did it? Not even once. God's chosen people, and they, never, they couldn't even do it for seven years. They couldn't even be just for seven years. Without the power of God and the authority of God, it doesn't work. This is why the prophet Amos said, you have built these people up. You have lifted a shrine of your king, the pedestals of your idols, which you made for yourselves. Instead of obeying the authority and the love and the structure God put in place, you made your own structure to oppress and to hold other people down so that you might be lifted up. Justice is not loving people just because they're people. Justice is loving people because they were made in the image of God. We love people because God loves people. We love people because God died for people. The same way he died for you and me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm just going to read this because I don't want to misspeak how I wrote it. We love people and seek justice because God wants to be reconciled to his children whom he loves. He wants us to care for his children who are not being cared for. Justice is not about society or the nation or humanity. It's about giving others what we have been given. Being people who are just and righteous, this is the job of the church. This is the job of the body of Christ. We see what God has done for us and we sing praises and we sing great songs that praise his name and what he has done for us. And then we go out and we live a life that exemplifies this, that mirrors this. This passage, what's so great about it, even though it's a little hard to read, it gives us a glimpse as to what matters most to God. And in times of injustice, what matters is that we the people bring justice and righteousness, not just worship. What matters in difficult times is that we, the church, do what is right, not just sit in our stone homes and say, God is good. This is paramount to God. And in fact, it's the same message that God gave the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1. If you have time, I suggest you read it. It almost mirrors this one exactly, Isaiah chapter 1. But when I read this, I see that we must, as Christians, have a balance in this life. We must see that God has called us to loving others the way he loves them. As Jesus said, we are his hands and we are his feet, and and that when we care for the least of these, we are in fact caring for God. Our actions must reflect our worship. Does this make sense? If we worship a just God, we are called to be people who practice that same justice. And this man, Amos... Let me just get back to him real quick before we get to our closing point in our application. This man, Amos, was just a shepherd from the southern kingdom. 
He actually says later on in, in, in chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, he said, I'm not a prophet. He says, I didn't even come from a family of prophets. But God spoke to me, and so I went and I did it. And we know this prophecy comes true, as he said at the end of it, that he will send him into exile beyond Damascus, because about 100 years later, give or take, Assyria comes in and takes the northern kingdom of Israel into exile. This man, Amos, was a shepherd. Probably, as we know, shepherds were not very well thought of. Probably wasn't real wealthy. But God spoke to him and said, you need to go and teach truth. You need to go and tell these people what matters most. And this word is so powerful. This word, this message of justice is so strong that in the American civil rights movements in the 1960, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., the famous activist, used this in his famous I Have a Dream speech. You may recognize it. Some, many of you heard it. He says this exact verse from 24. Let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. To the inspiration of millions and to the freedom and, and, and hopefully growing more and more towards the balance of equality. Civil rights leaders around the world and people desiring humanity and justice around the world have looked to Amos and Isaiah for words and for inspiration but they fall short. Instead of giving, it, giving the glory to God, they say, well, it's for a better humanity. It's for a... No, it's because they are made in the image of God. We are all brothers and sisters made in the image of God. This is why it strikes such a powerful chord in our lives, because God is a just God. And when we see injustice, it breaks our heart because it breaks God's heart. People think it's about being good and being fair. No, it's about being God's creation. It's about loving God's creation and caring for God's creation. Towards the end of the chapter, or towards the end of the book of Isaiah, I mean, sorry, Amos, in chapter 9, you can turn with me if you want. It's not on the screen. He says, chapter 7, or sorry, chapter 9, verses 7, 8, uh, and 9. It's just 7 and 8. Excuse me. He says, Are not you, the Israelites, the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kephor, and the Armenians from Kir? Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. God's eyes are not just on Israel and Judah and the nations in the world we consider bad or evil. God's eyes are on all of us. And when we as people do not reflect his justice and his love and his mercy... He will judge humanity. He will judge kingdoms. He will judge countries. But we as the church have a job. This is what Christ meant by being in the world but not of the world. We are members of nations. We are members of countries. But bigger than all of that, we are members of the church. This message is for all of us. Whatever nation we come from and wherever we go, this is our job. I can tell you as a, as a man who loves Jesus and follows Jesus as an American right now, it's very difficult for me. It's very difficult for me right now to, to wonder how to pursue justice in a time that seems so unjust. We all know the things I'm talking about. But we all have things that affect us that way. No matter what country we come from, no matter what our background is, no matter what injustice we've seen or experienced, this is for all of us. How do we do this? How do we as Christians do what is right? How do we avoid just singing songs? It's funny, talking about this, this passage with the worship band, it's, it's sort of a, it's like, oh great, we're going to go and sing songs now, but God said, how do we do this right? Um, 
Matt mentioned Psalm 139, and I would ask you to turn there, but one psalm before it. And I want to encourage you with this tonight. As I said, I don't want it to be a gloomy, doomy thing. I want you to be encouraged. Turn to Psalm 138. Psalm 138 is very short, but it's a beautiful psalm. And and it's of King David, and, and just look at verse 3. David says, When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. I love that passage so much. The New King James says that when I called, you answered me, and you gave me a boldness of soul. A boldness in my soul to stand up, to do what is right, to know what is right. When we call on God to say, God, what matters to you? God, show me the justice. Show me the righteousness. Show me how to do this. God will answer. And not only will God answer, but he will give your soul a boldness and a confidence to be able to act rightly and justly. This doesn't mean that we sell everything we have. This doesn't mean we move across the world and change our whole life. Maybe if that's what God's calling you to. But what it means for you, I believe, is this. To see God in all of the people you come in contact with. To see God in your job and your work and your neighborhood and everything. And simply help. When God speaks to your heart, help. When God puts something on you to pray for someone or to reach out and help someone, do it. Trust that when you ask the Lord for strength, he will give you a boldness of soul to act. God wants this for us. God will equip us for this. You know, there's a million clips and videos on YouTube that I was thinking about showing, um, and all of them just made me feel bad about myself and what I'm not doing. I didn't want to do that. What I just want to finish with is this. What are you passionate about? When you see people, when you see your life, and you think of the term justice and righteousness, what, what makes you want to get up and go? What makes you want to get up and move? What makes you, stirs your heart? Or maybe you phrase it this way. I've always thought about it this way. What makes God reach into your chest and squeeze your heart to where you just feel like, there's an, I, I have to do something? This is what God's talking about. Singing songs and praise songs are great. Coming to church and praying and doing all of the religious things are awesome. God just asks that we are men and women whose worship reflects our daily lives and that our daily lives also reflect our worship. That we are just people who reflect the love and care God has for this world. I want to end with this. I'm a little over time, so forgive me. James, will you just put up those last couple of slides? There's a song by a guy named John Foreman, and you can look it up if you want. It's very, very good. He goes through, and he says all of the lyrics from this, but go to, go to the next slide. Uh, next one. In Isaiah, it also adds this. It says, let's argue this out. If your sins are blood red, let's argue this out, because you'll be white as the clouds. Let's argue this out. Quit fooling around. Go to the next slide. And this is, this is the key that I want to leave us with. Give love to the ones who can't love at all. Give hope to the ones who have no hope at all. And stand up for the ones who can't stand. It's this simple. People confuse all of this stuff all the time. And the reason I'm so passionate about it is it really just says, Lord, I don't know how to do it, but I want to do it. God will give you a boldness and a strength inside of you, I truly believe, that will equip you to do this thing. 
to love and to give hope and to help others stand up for what is right. Please pray with me. Lord, we can talk forever about your love and your justice and your mercy. Tonight, Lord, as we continue in worship, I pray that we would quiet our hearts, open ourselves up to you. Lord, I pray that you would make every single person, including myself in this room, uncomfortable right now. That you would put something on our mind, that you would put something on our heart that we can do to bring justice and righteousness and love to this world. Lord, it's not a popular prayer, but I pray it anyways. Make us uncomfortable. Give us a boldness of soul to stand for what is right and what matters to you. In your name we pray. Amen.